Well, we're doing a short series this summer called The State of Our Union. We're basically just recognizing that there are certain topics that we hear a lot of conversation about in our culture. They're not always pleasant things. They're not always easy things to talk about. But we want to understand as God's people, what does God say about these areas of our lives? So last time we talked about the topics of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. This weekend, we're going to talk about the topic of abortion. I think we all are aware of the recent videos that have come out about the largest abortion provider in the United States called Planned Parenthood. In fact, I believe there was another one that was revealed this week. I have not seen that one. But having watched those videos, I really do not even know where to begin to talk about this. To be honest with you, before this week, I had just seen a few short portions and had not sat down and watched the videos all the way through. But I've got to share with you, especially adults in this room, you need to see those videos. Because when I saw them this week, I heard statements like this. That they huddle at the beginning of the day to make sure they know what parts they need to harvest from the abortions. That they're careful to do abortions in such a way as to save organs that can be sold. And I'm sorry for, for being so crude, but I'm just quoting. Even choosing a less crunchy method sometimes so that those organs could be saved and sold. Statements like that there are a lot of people that want livers. There's a lot of people that want lungs and things like that. One executive negotiated the price of body parts because she joked, she said it twice, she joked twice that she wanted a Lamborghini for herself. They even showed piles of baby body parts from abortions done earlier that day. Picking through those body parts to demonstrate to a potential undercover buyer how intact the specimens were so that they could be purchased. i got to tell you, after watching that, I'm not an easily emotionally impacted person. I mean, it takes a lot to kind of get to me. I usually can kind of keep myself under control and remain calm. But i got to be honest with you, after watching those videos this week, I was literally sick to my stomach. I was almost about to throw up in my office. And I was horrified at realizing that this is our country. I mean, I was actually, even for a few moments there, scared. I was actually just, dear God. Dear God, what has our My people, amen? My people, what have we come to as human beings? It is very... Very sad and it is very, very upsetting. If you love God and you love people, you cannot help but be upset by those things. Now, as I share that, I imagine that some of us would just say, Pastor Robbie, honestly, I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to see those things. I don't want to watch those videos. You might say, Pastor Robbie, I know it's important, but, but that's just not my thing. I don't get involved with things like this. You might say, this is so dreadful, this is so unimaginable that I, I can't find myself thinking about that. I'm sorry that those things happen, but what can I, what can I do about it? 
Maybe you're here and you would say, you know what, I was part of an abortion. I was the lady who had an abortion. Or I was the man who paid for an abortion. Or who demanded that my girlfriend or that my wife have one. And, and I just can't deal with talking about that topic. By the way, if that is you, our heart goes out to you. Frank, can I just share with you that God wants to forgive you for that? God wants to bring healing in your life. And we, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about the grace, the forgiveness, because we're all sinners that have made tremendous choices that have hurt ourselves and others. Amen? But we've got to get the word out to others that this is not good. For others of you, you might say, well, Pastor Robbie, I, I just don't think that it's appropriate at church to talk about such things. I mean, is this church getting political? Well, again, if you weren't here last week, I'll just share what I mentioned last time. That just because a topic is spoken about in politics doesn't mean that it can't be spoken about by God's people. Doesn't mean that we can't address those things and say, what does God want us to think about these areas? In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but until recently, the church was the voice. The church was the place that people in our nation... And I just want to share with you, church family, that that's the kind of heart that we need to have. Not that the church is some 501c3 nonprofit organization needs to be the boss in the United States, but that God's people, hearing from God and from His Word, speaking His truth, that should be the place where we, where we say, how am I supposed to see these things? How am I supposed to feel about these things in our lives and in our culture? Did you know that since Roe v. Wade in 1973, by the way, the year my wife was born, it officially became legal to have an abortion the year that Shannon was born. Did you know that since then there have been over 57 million... 57 million... Abortions in the United States. I think there's somewhere like 300 million people in our country right now. 57 more million people would have lived here. Between about a million and a million and a half per year, on average, just, just being very conservative about, according to the Guttmacher Institute, through the year 2011, they have exact, uh, exact numbers, and since then, being very conservative in estimates, that's about 3,000 per day. According to the World Health Organization, there are 40 to 50 million abortions every year in the world. That's about 125,000 people per day. So in the United States, every day, there's the equivalent of 7 to 10 Boeing 737 jet engines going down and crashing with people aboard every single day. In the world, that is the equivalent of Syracuse, New York. Syracuse, New York. That is the equivalent. I believe there's about 145,000 people in Syracuse. So 125, just short of the population of Syracuse is decimated, dying every single day in our world. What if three to 4,000 people were dying of something every day in the United States? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the outcry? Can you imagine the movement? Can you imagine we would say... Something, good grief. What is happening to our people? Something must be done. And frankly, if we do not talk about this as God's people, one day we, we're going to have to give an account to God about it. 
So we need to talk about the topic of abortion. And the first question that we need to answer is this. Can we really know when life begins? Isn't this one of the core questions that has allowed the problem of abortion to continue in our society? When is it that life begins? I think that anybody that looks at their baby on an ultrasound knows the answer to that question, really. But many people want to muddy the water about whether abortion is wrong by saying that it's just tissue. We want to call it another term. We want to call it a fetus or something like that. Other people want to say, you know what? You know, it's like I said last time, we want to, we want to kind of make this something that's really kind, of, really kind of difficult to understand. This is a very philosophical issue. This is, a, this is a matter of religious conscience. This is not a scientific issue. Well, first of all, I think that we really know in our hearts that we're playing games when we talk and we, we ask questions like that. But I want us to look at that. I want us to answer it. Medically, can we really know when life begins? Now, if we were not talking about a hot topic, if we just ask that question right now, medically, go to a college, go to university, go to a hospital, if we were not talking about a hot topic that did not that we did not want a different answer, medically, that would be a fairly easy answer. Very clearly, yes, we can know when life begins. But I want you to listen to some statements from doctors and scientists. Every time a sperm cell and an ovum unite, a new being is created which is alive and will continue to live unless its death is brought about by some specific condition. Another person said this. It is, this is a Harvard professor. It is incorrect to say that the biological data cannot be decisive. It is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. The father of modern genetics, Dr. Jerome Lejeune, he said to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It is plain experimental evidence or data. Each individual has a very neat beginning at conception. That's the father of modern genetics. Another person said this, at day one, this tiny new cell, smaller than a grain of salt, contains all the genetic information for every detail of the newly created life, the color of the hair and of the eyes, the intricate fine lines, the fingerprint, the physical appearance, the gender, the height, the skin tone. In fact, one person compared the developing baby to a young person becoming an adult. Just because, listen to this, because I think it's very important. Just because a baby, it's in his mother's womb and not at a certain stage in human life, does not make it any less human or alive than a boy or girl being less of a person just because that person has not reached a certain level of development or maturity as an adult. And I want to ask one of our young people, I want to ask Clayton if he would, to, to come up and join me on the stage because I want to do a little bit of, a, of an illustration tonight. I borrowed some, um, and Clayton, I'm going to ask you just to stand here, buddy, on the left side here. I borrowed uh, some... Uh, some um, uh, models here from our local crisis pregnancy center. 
I want to share with these are these are these are some of the stages of human life here that we're seeing here. By the way, I've got one over here. I've got some tweezers, okay? Because I was trying to find something small enough. The smallest I could find, I actually found on the stage, was this little, this little dot of glitter. Okay, but actually, this little dot of glitter is too big. Because if you look at your sermon notes, what I was trying to illustrate was at eight days old, a baby is about as big as the period on, on your sermon notes. Okay? So we've got a baby at eight days old, and I'm being very generous because it's the dot here that I can barely hold with my fingers with these tweezers. But you've got these stages of development. Then we've got Clayton standing here. Okay, so this baby is going to develop to a certain point. It's going through, as a human life, it is going through certain stages of development. Finally gets to the point it's going to become a baby it's going to, or an infant. It's going to become a toddler. It's going to become a young man. And eventually it's going to develop into a man one day. And Clayton, this is what you got to look forward to, all right? <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. But I want to ask you a question. At what stage in all of that human life is it okay to cut off the process? Would it be okay between toddler and Clayton? Would it be okay between Clayton and me? If it's clearly not okay at that point, at, what, at which of these points in human life would it be okay to stop that human life and say that it's no longer going to continue? Clayton, you can have a seat. Let's give Clayton a hand. Amen. You may say, well, Pastor Robbie, that's just a speck of dust. From God's perspective, Robbie Lankford right now is a full-grown human being. A mature adult is just a speck of dust. It's really just a matter of perspective, isn't it? But that speck of dust has been proven to be... By the way, most people will say there's about seven qualities that say life is present. You can go look it up online. There's about seven things that scientists and doctors and biologists say are needed to be able to, and all of those things have to be present. Because there are some things that can have some aspects, but they don't have all aspects. But, but, but for something to be alive, to be a living being, it has to have those seven things. That baby from conception has every single one of the characteristics that we say are called life. And actually, I need to share something with you. I don't want to get too technical here, but you need to realize something. Because of this undeniable scientific evidence, this is not real doctors, real scientists, honest scientists will tell you that this is not a religious thing. This is not a philosophical thing. This is a biological medical thing. And because of that, now the conversation has turned from is it alive to personhood. Actually, people have taken it a step further to say functional personhood. Okay, so the real question is not life because we can't prove that that's not alive. So we're going to say that this is not a person. Actually, it's more beneficial if we can say this is not a functional person. By the way, that ought to make you nervous. Because there may be a point later in some of our lives when we're not considered by somebody to be a functional, contributing person. 
there's always going to be those who try to find ways around things, biologically or semantically. But let's see what God's Word says. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. One of the greatest passages on the Bible for the topic that we're talking about together this week. And it says, For you formed or you created my inward or my innermost parts. You wove me. The idea in this passage is that God is this great weaver. That God is this great seamstress who is weaving together what? That you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully, I am awesomely and wonderfully. I am, I am in a distinct and in a separate like there is no other kind of way made. He says, wonderful are your works, God. Wonderful means they're difficult to understand. They're extraordinary. And my soul knows it very well. My soul knows it exceedingly. I realize, God, that this thing called my life is something very dear, very precious, very amazing that I cannot quite understand. And I was made in secret. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought, again, there, that, that I was, it's like needlework. That's literally the terminology that's being used for that, that you are like a piece of fine cloth that God used needlework to make. That your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained or planned for me, when as yet there was not one of them. What the Bible is teaching is before I was born, God knew when I was going to come into this world. God knew every day that I was going to live in this world, and He was going to know the last day that I was going to live and breathe in this world, and He was going to know all the memories that I was going to make in between. Before I was ever born, God knew that about me, and God knew that about you. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5 says, Before I formed you, this is a word that's, that's used like pottery, like making a piece of pottery. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, Jeremiah I consecrated you and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God told the Jeremiah, before I was even making you in the womb, I did make you in the womb, but before then I decided that you were going to be a servant of mine in this world. We're not afraid to talk about personhood. If the conversation wants to go from life to personhood, God's fine with that. Because God knew a person before they ever had life. He knew that they were going to exist, that they were going to be conceived, that He even had a plan for that person. So it's okay to talk about personhood. Because God had a plan for each person that's ever been conceived. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Paul's talking about his own life. He said, God set me apart. He, he ordained me. He chose my life even from my mother's womb. Before I was born, God had a special purpose for my life. You know, we want to get all technical about the details of life and abortion, which, by the way, we've shown that, we can, that, 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 that the issues of life can stand on their own. But God says that we should see it more like this. Abortion, listen, is interrupting the creative process of God. God is weaving a life that starts at conception and His hands are all over. How dare we seek to interrupt the creative process of that Almighty God? 
By the way, if we do interrupt the process of life, where Clayton was or where I am, what do we call that? We call that murder. I'm not trying to be a, a, a shock speaker here. But you know what? Sometimes our culture has so euphemized, hey, and what, what euphemism basically means, a euphemism is basically softening something by changing the name of it. But it's so done that with what's happening in abortion that many times we do not realize that it's the same thing that people would be put in jail for later in that life. This week I noticed something in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 43. It's the story about, uh, it's the story about Jesus' birth. In Luke 1, verses 41 through 43, it says, when, when Elizabeth, Mary, went to visit her relative Elizabeth, it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in, inside of Elizabeth leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Now again, I don't want to get too complicated here, but if you read the chronology here, Mary found out that she was going to have a baby just a few verses before. She found out that she was going to have a baby when Elizabeth had been expecting for three months. The Bible says that Mary went to go spend six months with Elizabeth, and then Elizabeth had her baby because babies are born in how many months? Nine months. So the Bible is telling us, it is implied in this passage, that Mary had already conceived Christ in her womb. So don't miss this. Apparently, Mary had just conceived Christ when she came to visit Elizabeth. Because at the moment she found out she was going to have Christ, Elizabeth was three months expecting. When she visited Elizabeth, six months later, Elizabeth had her baby. So apparently Mary went to go see Elizabeth right after she had conceived. And her cousin Elizabeth, her relative Elizabeth, and her son John the Baptist were impacted by the presence of God in the room just after the baby Jesus had been conceived. Even when he was just little dot that can barely be picked up by tweezers. It sounds to me like God considers life and personhood to happen at the point of conception. But there's another question that's, that's, that's raised many times when we're talking about abortion. People ask the question, but shouldn't women have the right to choose? Well, you put it that way. The way that question is worded, the answer seems obvious, doesn't it? Should women have the right to make choices about their lives? Yes. Right? If that's the question we're asking, should women have the right to make choices about their lives? Should someone tell a lady where she needs to live? Should someone tell a lady what job she needs to have? Should someone tell a lady what person she's supposed to marry? Obviously, the answer to that is no. And as it concerns abortion, it's usually put like this. A woman has the right to choose about her life. And this choice is between a woman 
her doctor, and her God. Isn't that the way it's put? Well, that sounds very noble. It sounds very, uh, very kind, but is it true? Can a woman, can any person make any decision they want to about their body? The answer is no, isn't it? Is it legal to make any decision you want to about your body? Can a woman decide to be a prostitute? Can she do anything she wants to do with her body legally? No. Can a woman decide to mar her own body? To hurt her own body legally? No. We are not allowed to do anything we want to with our body. But even if you go beyond legal... Even if your government allowed you legally to do those things, and by the way, probably will soon, does that therefore mean, if something is legal, that a woman could do that? Not if you're a Christian. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, therefore, the Bible says, glorify God with your body. Friends, if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I have acknowledged that this life, this body is not my own to do whatever I choose to do with it, even if my government says I can. Wait just a minute. Because all of that is based upon flawed reasoning and a bad assumption anyway. We've been taught that this life inside of a woman is just tissue. In fact, do you know there are people actually that are going so far as considering a baby inside a mother? Some people have even called that an unwelcome parasite. That is how many people are viewing a baby inside of a woman now. But is it only about the woman? As one pastor said, the baby is in the woman's body the baby is not the woman's body. That's very important. The baby is in the woman's body, for sure. But the baby is not the woman's body. Listen to this. The mother and the baby can, and many times do, have different blood types. It is medically impossible for one person to have two different blood types. A mother and a baby can obviously be two different genders. Mom can't be a woman and a man at the same time. When she carries a baby boy in her body, he is clearly a different individual. He's clearly a different sex, a different gender. What about the self-preservation of the baby? The baby is not the mother's body. In fact, if the mother's body, if the baby did not protect itself, the mother, the mother, mother the mother's body would reject the baby as a foreign body. It's because of that, that within 72 hours, the baby begins to form a protective placenta to protect itself from the mother's body in that way. Listen to this. Someone said, so distinct is an embryo from a mother's womb that if a fertilized ovum from a black couple is transplanted, into a white mother, she will have a black baby. The baby is in the mother's body, but the baby is not the mother's body. 
The Bible affirms that too. There are two distinct human beings. Exodus chapter 21, verses 20, uh, 22 through 25. In that passage, the Bible talks about that if a mother is injured while she's expecting a baby, Exodus 20, uh, 21, verses 22 through 25. If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge decides. Okay, so if a lady's carrying a baby, because of distress, it's brought on her and she has the baby prematurely, if there's no injury, then there's, there's some kind of fine applied according to the husband and to the judge. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. The Bible's making it very clear that there is a mother's life, there is a baby's life. If that mother was in an altercation with a man who attacked her and that baby died, that man would be accountable for taking another life. The mother's life and the baby's life were both of a value. Now obviously at this point the question always comes up, but what about the life of the mother? What about when the mother's life is in danger? Well, First of all, I think we all realize this, that's a very small percentage of the time. Many sources say between 1% and 3% of the time. And many make the case that technically it's actually never really the case truly. This is what I mean. Directly taking the baby's life, many will make the case, does not ever save the mother's life. Here's what happens. Sometimes in the process of saving the mother... The baby doesn't make it. Do you understand the difference? Many doctors will, ha- will say and have documented that they say that actually taking that baby's life is not going to save that mother's life. But sometimes in the process of saving a mother's life, the baby doesn't make it. Now friends, listen. Because this has happened to some of you. Those small number of cases, it's not fair to call that an abortion. What do I mean by that? If we're out in the middle of Lake George, there's three of us in the boat, two of us can't swim, but I can. We're going down. There's one life preserver. There's two people that can't swim. There is a tragic choice of there are two lives to save. I've only got one life preserver. I can only save one life. That is not fair if you have been through that. That is not fair to call that an abortion. That is a tragedy of a forced choice of a situation that that is terrible either way you look at it. But a choice must be made. And by the way, again, how many times does that really happen? Another question that's often raised is what about rape and incest? Again, I would just say how often does that really happen? Studies show that when women face the tragedy of rape, at the most, 2-5% to actually become pregnant. And people who do become pregnant, rape and incest accounts for less than 1% of all abortions. 
The point is this, people use that as the point, as a justification for legalizing abortion. But it is not that frequent. And by the way, while certainly God's heart is broken for the victim of rape, does that justify the slaughter of an innocent human being who was an innocent bystander in that terrible circumstance? It's certainly understandable if a woman, if a lady said, I don't think I can raise this child. But there are many people who would love to. That brings us to the next question. How should we treat the vulnerable in our society? This is a question that we've got to think about. In the discussion of abortion, many times babies are vilified. Babies have become the problem and we just need to get rid of this problem. We need for our thinking. Friends, listen. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Okay, if I'm a Christian, I want to think Christianly, right? I want to think as Christ says that I should approach things in my life. Babies are not a problem to get rid of. They are innocent people who need our protection. I've got to read to you out of Proverbs Chapter 24, verses 11 and 12. In Proverbs 24, verse 11, it says, Deliver those who are being taken away to death. Those who are staggering to slaughter, oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this. Don't miss that. There are people who are going away to the slaughter. If we say, I didn't know that was happening. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? Does he not know it who keeps your soul? Will he not render to man according to his work? Basically what this is saying is when we know that someone is getting hurt, doesn't matter who it is, abortion or otherwise, when we know that someone is getting hurt, but we make the decision to not do anything about that, one day we are going to give an account to God for that. And certainly that applies to moms. It applies to dads. It applies to grandparents. It applies to doctors who are directly involved with a particular abortion. In fact, doctors, did you know that the original Hippocratic Oath for Doctors, the original one from the 4th century, I think this is interesting, Remember how last week when we were talking about homosexuality, we said, oh, homosexuality, some people will say, that's a new phenomenon. The Bible was written during a time where they didn't know anything about homosexuality. And we said, how that's not true. People might say, oh, abortion. People back in the Bible, God's, the Bible doesn't address abortion because things like that didn't happen back then. In the 4th century B.C., this man said, I will neither, neither give a deadly drug to anybody who asks for it, nor will I make a suggestion to this effect. Similarly, I will not give to a woman an abortive remedy. That was in the 4th century before Christ. He said, in purity and holiness, I will guard my life and my art. Protecting the innocent is not only, for, not only for those directly involved. It's not just for the mom. It's not just for the dad. It's not just for the grandparents, for the doctor, 
for the medical professionals involved. It involves all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. If we know that somebody's being hurt, especially somebody who can't defend themselves, especially someone who's innocent, we should try to do whatever we can to help them. There's really two principles that, that, that teach us that in God's Word. Write these down. The first one's the golden rule. Most people know the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12, it says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. The Bible says you could just about sum up God's Word, except for the fact of loving God. The rest of God's Word is really about loving and serving and helping other people. So let's apply it to this situation. If you are an innocent baby and had not yet been born and could not defend yourself, wouldn't you want these adults walking around out here to help with that? They may not be able to speak right now, but one day they will. Many of them, when you hear their testimony, they will say thank you. They will say, thank you. Because I don't know about you, but I had absolutely nothing to do with me being born. Amen? I had not. Thank God that He gave me life. Thank God He gave me my parents. Thank God I lived in a country with medical, with, with good medicine, and I was born healthy and all those things. Thank God, but I had nothing. I make a lot of decisions right now, but back then, people could have made decisions for me. And if they had, if I had been in this situation, I would say thank you for helping me to live. So the first principle is the golden rule. The second one is defending the defenseless. Friends, I've shared with you, God's been speaking in my heart about your pastor. That we've got to think about people in this world who need help. We talked about it. We want to go help people be able to dig a well and get good water. Amen? We want to help people that don't have a roof over their head. We want to go build a house for them just like the wonderful team from the Dominican just did. In three days, gave some people a house. Help people. They just need a leg up. They just need somebody to help them. But it also applies to this situation. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, defend the orphan. Defend the fatherless. And by the way, to those politicians in our country who are supposed to be our leaders... Just a few verses away from that, in verse 23, God says that He takes it very serious when leaders do not defend the cause of the innocent. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 28. He talks about people being fat, being satisfied, being happy, being comfortable, and overlooking their wicked deeds. He said, what were those wicked deeds? They were not pleading the cause of the orphan. They were not pleading the cause of the poor. And that's another category of people we need to be thinking about. There are people that cannot go to bed tonight because they're hungry. And we need to do something about that. Amen? We are going to do something about that with God's help. Amen? Are you with me, church family? Amen? God, help us. I can't do it. I can't do it all. But with God's help, we're going to do it. James chapter 1, verse 27. We just talked about this a few weeks ago. If you want to know what real relationship with Christ looks like, you know one of the, fir the first thing God says is to look out for orphans and widows in their distress. To help orphans when they're in trouble. You say, well, what can I do, Pastor Robbie? The 
first thing is if you are a person who's made that tragic choice and had an abortion or been involved with one, just come to Christ and ask Him to forgive you for that. Receive His healing. Receive something called redemption. Sweet, sweet redemption. Redemption can take a person who's been divorced and use that person to help strengthen marriages. Redemption can take a drug addict, deliver that person from their addiction, and use them to turn around and bring others out. That's redemption. That's the story of my life. Amen? Then I'm a mess, but with God's help, I'm still struggling. But with God's help, I'm going to help grab others out of the mess. Amen? Dear precious lady, let God bring healing to your life. And then turn around and let Him work through you to be a blessing to others who are struggling just like you did. You can pray for the unborn. Don't minimize that. Prayer is powerful. Do we pray for the unborn? Right now I'd have to say no, but I need to put that on my prayer list. Amen? That's a specific prayer request regularly to speak up for the unborn. We're going to give you some opportunities in the days ahead. Listen, we're not saying we're going to become one of those crazy, fanatical, in-your-face churches. But listen, the Bible says to be salt and light. I was going through the traffic circle the other day and, 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 and I've heard sometimes people say, there was a guy walking around with a sign, stop abortion. Sometimes you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear people say, what good is he doing? What, what impact is that making? But you know what? That's not the only thing. That may not be the best thing, but it is a thing, amen? Because that day, he reminded me about abortion. I was just going about my business. So there are things that we can do to say it does matter. Somebody's thinking about this. Somebody's paying attention. Somebody's not happy about that. And again, I'm not talking about it in a hostile. I'm not talking about an angry and a, certainly not a hurtful. That's all inappropriate and wrong in God's eyes. But we have to show a presence for God. If something's not right. But even better than that, Go volunteer at our, our Crisis Pregnancy Center. Go, especially you ladies, go counsel women. Go encourage them. Go pray for them. Go share with them. There's hope. There's help. There's people that care. There's a church. There's churches that want to be here for them. They want to be a family for them. And you know what? Some of us need to adopt children. Some of us need to adopt. Maybe God's been speaking to you and your husband. Or you and your wife about adopting, bringing a precious life into this world and giving it a home. What a great! You cannot get a better picture of our salvation than adoption. If you adopt a child, you are delivering a child from an uncertain life and possibly, in this situation, possibly death. You're giving that person hope and help and healing and the good news about Christ if you're faithful to share Christ with them. There's going to be some opportunities. We've talked with our county. We're, we're in conversation with our county. How coming and setting up a booth and tell what are the needs? Let's just pray about it. Amen? I'm not saying you're going to adopt. I'm not saying I'm going to adopt. We certainly need to pray about it and for it and encourage it. If a baby makes it out of the womb without being aborted, 
past the normal gestational period, there's pretty much a 100% chance that it'll make it. But did you know that over 20% of pregnancies, not including those that end in miscarriage, but over 20% of pregnancies end in abortion? I want you to think about that for just a moment. How sad that it might be that one of, if not the most dangerous places in the United States for a baby to be is in its mother's womb. Because if it makes it out of its mother's womb, it almost has a 100% chance of making it. How sad. But it's true. Friend, I believe God would have you and I, you and me, to say, so what am I supposed to be doing about that? Amen? i got to tell you, God just gripped my heart this week. Robbie, where you been? What you been thinking about? God, I've been trying to do some good things. But this is something serious. That we look back at tragedies of the 20th century and said, how did people stand by and watch that? Yet here we are. What are we going to do to make a difference? And I want to share with you if you're here right now. You have, there are many people, many people that have had an abortion. There, there's no doubt people in this room who've had an abortion. Can I just say to you, if you have, that what you have done, yes, is a tragic choice. But it is not beyond the love and the forgiveness of our great God. God has the ability one day to reunite you with your precious baby. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that you will see your baby again one day. So I want to ask you, have you asked Jesus to come into your life? Have you asked Him to forgive you for making that choice? Have you clung to Him? Have you turned to Him? Have you given your life to Him? If you haven't, I want to ask you to do that. That is the best decision that you could make to recover from that choice. And God will forgive you. He will forgive you. He will grant you forgiveness. You say, oh, Pastor Robbie, I don't deserve it. You're right, and I don't either. But Christ was willing to die on that cross, and He knew good and well the choice that you made. When He died on the cross, all of those choices that you and I made were future. And He knew good and well what He was dying for. You are not beyond the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's just a matter of receiving that gift. You may be a young man here. You may be an older man. You may be a parent who paid for your daughter to have an abortion because you thought it would be better for her. Say, Dear God, what did I do? Please forgive me, God. Would you come to the Lord? Would you ask Him to free? Maybe you're a Christian and you made that choice. Dear God, how did I do that? Would you bow with me before the Lord? God, it's overwhelming. 57 million babies in our country. God, if we're not careful, it all seems like statistics. 
help us to know that each one of those lives matter to you, a special, precious creation of our great God. And help us to ask, what am I to do, God? In light of this, what am I to do? Father, help us to be sure that we honor you as we make those choices, but help us to step up. And if there is someone that's made that choice or participated in it, please help them to trust that you will forgive. They will turn to you. You will bring healing and redemption into their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.